Second Peter chapter three, verses 10 through 18. Fruit inspectors, part seven, steadfast living. Beginning in verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will be will pass away with a great noise and the elements with will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord or the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The last and final lesson in Second Peter ends with what manner of person we might be in remaining steadfast, which is unwavering, which is loyal and committed. Why? Well, in view of Jesus' return and the judgment that will come upon this world. Peter has told us that this current earth and heavens and universe will be dissolved. It will be with a fervent heat, and the elements will melt. So as they say, it's all going to burn someday. It will exist no more, and a new heaven and a new earth will be created. Pastor Chuck Smith told the story of when he bought a brand new car. He went down to the dealership as a person went to his church who owned the dealership. So he's going to give him his cost and plus give him all the add-ons, all the extras for free and whatever he wanted. So Chuck ordered his car, got the color, everything he wanted. And when he got the car, he just babied it. I mean, he kept it clean. He kept it polished. When he go to the store, he'd park as far from the entrance where no one else parks. Well, about two to three weeks within him having his new car, he went to the store with his son, Chuck Jr., and, of course, they parked way down the very end where no cars were parked. When they came out, there was a car parked right next to his new car, and lo and behold, there was a big ding in his door from the other car. You could see the paint matches up with this car. But this is what I like about Chuck. He was always honest about his own shortcomings. He started going off into a rage. He was so mad. I mean, he's going to wait for this person who owns that car to come out, and he's going to give him a piece of his mind. So he and his son sit in the car waiting. Chuck Jr. turned to his father, and he says, Dad, you know it's all going to burn anyway. And Chuck turned around and looked at his son and goes, Thanks, I needed that. And he put the keys in the ignitions, and he drove off, and he was over-pampering the car. Listen, whatever we have materially that is so precious to us, it's all going to burn, according to 2 Peter chapter 3. So the day's coming when it will not matter at all. But in the meantime, we would want to be living steadfast, committed, unwavering in our walk with Jesus. That does not burn up someday. That is what travels with us to have the most awesome welcome into heaven. We don't want to invest so much in this world that it takes us off of our game with God. Look at verses 14 and through 16. It says this, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blemish. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And also our beloved brother Paul, according to his wisdom, given to him has written to you as also in all the epistles speaking of them these things in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction and they do also to the rest of the scriptures so going back to those who scoff at where is the lord where is the promise of his coming well, since our fathers and our grandparents and their parents have all fallen asleep and died life goes on just as normal so, Peter, as he said back in verse 9 to the scoffers, the delaying of the Lord is, is his coming, is salvation. And also he says in verse 15 the same thing. The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. 
So as they scoff at Peter, they're going to scoff at you too about this slow coming. And he reminds us, this is what Paul the Apostle went through also in talking about the coming of Christ for the church in his second coming. Paul, like Peter and all the apostles, and like us, it could be any time for his coming. But the good news is this, the longer he delays, the more people get saved. And yet, even though there are scoffers, there's also those who are sincere Christians that are also confused. I mean, when Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians, he's responding to them freaking out over some of the brothers and sisters in the church who have died before the Lord's second coming. They thought, well, what's going on? We're not, I guess they're not going to make it. And so they were very concerned about that. So Paul had, in his writing, tell them, oh, those people who are dead will not be left behind when Jesus comes for his church. And he said it this way. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who remain alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the airs. So like today, there's a misunderstanding among people in the church. And there's also people who are scoffing, the non-believers. So you got believers who are misunderstanding, and you got non-believers who are scoffing. And that's what takes place in the church. Look at verse 17 through 18. It says this, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So steadfastness means just to be stable. It means to be firmly established. That we would be unmoved in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we would be unmoved in our relationship with the Bible and the scriptures that were written for us. See, in spite of these things that go on around us, in spite of what others say about the Bible and putting it down, in spite of what others are trying to take away from God's word or even adding to God's word, we should be firmly established in this relationship with God. And what's really interesting to me in this word steadfastness that Peter is writing is that he, he was never the poster boy for ministry with Jesus as being steadfast, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually. I mean, Peter was like a roller coaster with extreme highs and extreme lows in his relationship with the Lord. Now, here he is in his life as a steadfast person and a call upon our lives. He's telling us to live a steadfast life. Let's look at a few of the experiences in his life with Jesus that gave him that kind of that roller coaster kind of highs and lows. There's a story there at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, and others said Elijah, and some said John the Baptist, and or one of the prophets of old. And then Jesus asked him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And as Peter was speaking for them all, then Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I mean, talk about a mountaintop experience. What an extreme high that must have been for Peter. I mean, he's praised by Jesus for him, received revelation from the Father. And then right after this, Jesus tells the disciples of his suffering that is awaiting him in Jerusalem and how he'll be crucified and maltreated by both Jew and Gentile. And of course, Peter, feeling that he's on top of the world spiritually now, really starts rebuking Jesus for ever saying something like that. It was so wrong for him to be talking about dying. And Peter tells him to stop that kind of talk. You're, 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 you're freaking us all out, and we're going to protect you. We're, we'll be your bodyguards. And then Jesus turned around to Peter, and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God. So here's that roller coaster ride to, real t on the mountaintop, now total despair. You go from the mountaintop of hearing God's voice speak to you and do, to the very bottom where Jesus himself 
is calling you Satan. And at the, of course, and at the mountain of transfiguration, talk about a mountaintop experience, seeing Jesus totally transformed to his glorious body before their very eyes. It was a preview of coming attractions of his glory in the future. Moses and Elijah are there, and they're discussing between the three of them. And as they are talking, Peter's feeling he has to say something again. And he said to Jesus, is it good for us to be here? Let's camp out here and build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter this time. It's God the Father in heaven who does, where he comes crashing through, speaking as Peter is talking, saying, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. Listen to him. Basically, Peter, why are you talking? You need to be quiet. Listen to my son. Don't start giving directions on what we should be doing. Peter, be quiet. So once again, on that mountaintop experience of the glory of Jesus, then in the valley when the Father from heaven speaks out to rebuke Peter. And then, of course, there's the upper room where Jesus is washing feet, and he's showing them this incredible demonstration of servanthood, lowliness, and humility. And then as Jesus is doing all this, Peter feels he needs to say something again. And, of course, we know the denial of Jesus. When Jesus says, you know, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And the very fact is, Peter says, no, well, I'm not going to scatter. These other guys, they probably will, but I'm going to stick with you all the way. I will die for you. I'll stay with you. You know, and Jesus kind of looked over at Peter and says, Peter, you know, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you. But you're going to do it. You're going to deny me before this night's over at least three times. And, of course, he did. And he went away and he wept bitterly. So here's this mountaintop experience, the very low. I'm not going to leave you. I'll stay with you. And then he doesn't, you know. It's just up and down, up and down. But the one thing Peter learned with Jesus in this roller coaster experience was this, that our failures will never characterize our lives, not define our relationship with Jesus either. Let me say that again, that our failures will not characterize our lives and they will not define our relationship with Jesus. No, our lives will be defined always by his grace because as Peter says in verse 18, we continue to grow in grace. Peter understood that to be very, very important and the very fact for us to know that's important too. Though we can make mistakes and that we will and we, we always will, but we always want to get better when we fail. But we always know that our life is defined by his grace, not by any failures that we ever do at all. It's not going to happen that way. And so let me just tell you the one thing in Peter's life that changed him from being on this roller coaster relationship with Jesus. It's the one thing that gave him steadfastness. It's the one thing that changed Peter's life from being the Peter of the Gospels to be this incredible Peter of the book of Acts. It was this one thing, and it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost there in Acts 2 and he preached to a very religious crowd, this was just weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter stood boldly and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 get saved that day. That's what Jesus promised the disciples, this power that they would be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what Peter demonstrated that day, the power of the witness of Jesus Christ to a very religious crowd. And many in this crowd were crying out, crucify, crucify to Pilate just weeks before. Now, probably, most likely, some of these people now were being saved through Peter's preaching. That would have never happened without the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in his life. And understand something about the relationship the Holy Spirit has with us. It's this. The Holy Spirit is with every single person in this world before we come to Christ. Jesus talked about this. He said he comes alongside of us. 
We have come to know the Lord is because the Holy Spirit is beside us. Every single person in this world, he comes alongside of. And it's almost like a bumper car. As we are going through this direction, that, he kind of bumps us to head towards Jesus. Either bumps us to come to a Christmas Eve service or an Easter service or to go to church because our moms asked us to go to church. He's always bumping us towards Jesus. And it's a constant bumping until that day that we'll come face to face with Jesus and decide what are we going to do with Jesus. Am I going to accept him or am I going to reject him? But that's the Holy Spirit's job in relationship to every single person in this world. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit that's only unique to Christians themselves. That's when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us by our invitation, by us receiving Christ into our lives. That's when we become born again. It's our dead spirit that we were born with becomes alive by the Holy Spirit coming in us. It is the sealing of us for heaven. It's the guaranteed deposit that we are going to heaven. And it's interesting, when Jesus talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the apostles had already received the Holy Spirit inside of them. It was the night of his resurrection there in John chapter 20, as he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, a different manifestation of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And it's the purpose of supplying us with the power to live the life like Christ. It doesn't matter the circumstances might be or the situation might be. It doesn't matter what the nation might be or our apartment complex might be or our family might be. Here's the power. No matter what might oppose us from the outside, this power that leans us towards steadfastness. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is also referred to as the second blessing. It's also referred to as the filling of the Holy Spirit. I like baptism for that word paints a mental picture for me. Because when somebody gets water, ba- uh, baptized in water, it's complete submersion into the water. They're covered completely with water. And when they come out of that water, their family and their friends are there to congratulate them and hug them. What happens when you hug someone who's been baptized in water? Well, you get wet. You get that which they were baptized in on you. That's the idea with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As the whole Holy Spirit overflows into our life, people who come into contact with us have an effect of what we were baptized in into like peter in acts 2 he preached three thousand get saved they received the holy spirit inside of them because peter had been baptized in the holy spirit and in effect as those people were in contact so to speak with peter you know then that's same with us my life your life can have a positive effect on others who come into contact with us and the father said this how many of you as fathers give good gifts to your children which we all do how much more with your father in heaven will give the holy spirit to you for those who will ask him all we have to do is ask him so the holy spirit the baptism of the holy spirit is simply received by asking god for it and all a christian who is born of the spirit all they have to do is ask for it and right now that's all you have to do you right now as you're listening you can just ask for god's gift of his holy spirit if you're a christian and you're born again he will give you that empowerment and he will give you that he'll make you a different man. Peter was not the same guy that he was in the Gospels once he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He had steadfastness now. He was solid now. And, you know, but he didn't, you know, he still made mistakes, but he was solid from that moment on. And for maybe for some of us, we need that, that steadfastness. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can be that different person than we are right now.